In Southeast Ag, that's Ag and Review for the week ending October the 9th and a significant victory for the agricultural and business sectors. On Friday, a federal appellate court suspended nationwide implementation of the Waters of the United States or WOTUS rule until further order of the court. The decision to stay the rule granted by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit in Cincinnati comes a little more than a month after U.S. District Court judge issued a temporary injunction against implementation of the regulation. That injunction, however, applied to only to the 13 states that brought the lawsuit against EPA and the Corps of Engineers in the North Dakota-based District Court. Now, in reaching its decision, the court found there's a substantial likelihood that EPA's WOTUS rule fails to comply with the Supreme Court's instructions in previous Clean Water Act cases and that the agency's actions in the rulemaking process are facially suspect. Well, in other news, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's National Agriculture Statistics Service released its October crop reports Friday, and a slight revision was made to the cotton production forecast compared to last month. Angie Counts and I with NASA in Washington, D.C., has the numbers. All cotton production is forecast at 13.3 million 480 pound bales, down less than 1% from last month and down 18% from last year. Yield is expected to average 784 pounds per harvested acre, down 54 pounds from last year. Record high yields are forecast in Arkansas, Kansas, and Tennessee. Cotton production in Georgia is forecast at 2.3 million bales, up 5% from last month, but down 11% from last year. In Alabama, production is forecast at 545,000 bales, down 3% from September and down 17% from last year. Florida production is expected to total 140,000 bales up 8% from last month, but down 27% from 2014. In summary, all cotton production in the United States is forecast at 13.3 million bales in 2015, down less than 1% from last month and down 18% from last year. This is Angie Considine with the USDA National Agriculture Statistics Service. Thanks, Angie. While the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations in Atlanta, Georgia wrapped up this past Monday, specific details will not be released until the president presents it to Congress or about 30 days after the negotiations ended. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack explains why it will take that long. There's a process that uh, is underway. Lawyers uh, are sitting down uh, basically what is called scrubbing the text, making sure that it's accurate that it appropriately expresses the agreements that have been reached by the ministers, ambassadors, trade, uh, the trade ambassadors. Uh, that process in the past has taken some time. Will actually be done more quickly this time because we started the process months ago, knowing full well that people would be interested in seeing the text as quickly as possible. In the meantime, uh, these fact sheets will be provided. The USTR's office will also be putting out fact sheets and other aspects of the economy. Uh, to give people a general sense of uh, what's in the agreement. And I think the 30-day time period uh, in comparison to other fields is, a, is, is fairly quick. Uh, we know there is a process in which we have to give Congress time under the TPA, under the Trade Promotion Authority, and we obviously want to move this along so that folks get the information uh, that they need to be able to determine how they feel about this. Well, in other news, this year's peanut crop did see some stress ranging from drought to disease. With more on that story, here's Brianna Bullard. 
Despite the stresses, University of Georgia peanut agronomist Dr. Scott Montford says this peanut crop should be a good one. We sat down with Dr. Montford and discussed some of the diseases plaguing this year's crop and why disease was so prevalent. This year, press prices, people plant peanuts because it's the only thing that's economical to plant. So we do have a great number of acres, planted early, planted late, it doesn't matter, that's peanuts behind peanuts in the shorter rotation, and we're seeing the results right now, and the results are a lot of disease. Dr. Montfort says economics really played a role in the disease levels of this year's peanuts. Some guys didn't stay on the best fungicide programs because of economics and thinking they can ease by and get away with it. And this year, in some places, that's not working. Of the diseases affecting peanuts, leaf spot and white mold were the two biggest concerns. Despite the prevalence of these diseases, Dr. Montford is positive about the 2015 peanut crop. This year is more positive than it is negative, and so we are glad to have the year we've got. The majority of the acres, we're going we're gonna to yield very well. For Southeast Agnet, I'm Brianna Bullard. Kathy Isom has information on the things we need to know before we're firing up that chainsaw this fall. It's getting to be that time of year again when we may be heading out to cut our own firewood for the winter or doing some brush clearing before the weather turns cold. And in some cases... We may be doing that work with a chainsaw. But as Ellen Bowski of University Georgia Extension points out, a chainsaw is perhaps the most dangerous hand tool you can buy at a hardware store, as it doesn't require training or a license to operate. But when a chainsaw is operating at full speed, more than 600 teeth pass a given point per second. One in five chainsaw injuries are from kickback of the chainsaw. The muffler can reach temperatures as high as 900 degrees Fahrenheit. The speed of the chainsaw, it can be moving 68 miles per hour. That's 2,500 feet per minute or 88 feet per second. That's why she recommends that any job that requires a chainsaw should be done by a trained professional. Otherwise, read the operator's manual thoroughly and, if available, participate in a chainsaw safety course like those offered by University Georgia Extension. They have to be aware of the key safety features of a chainsaw. It has to have a handguard. It has to have the inertia chain brake. It needs to have a chain catcher. Should all of them today have a vibration reduction system, which makes them easier to operate? Bowski adds that wearing proper protective gear when operating a chainsaw is essential. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Everett Griner talks about the age of farmers. Does anybody keep up with how old our average high school principal is? Does it make any difference how old your doctor is? Well, why don't we keep tabs on farmers? I just read that One-third of our farmers is at least 65. So what? The farm is the farmer's home. Even if he gave up farming at 65, he'll still be in the same environment he's been in since he was a teenager. He's still around and involved with a lot of expensive equipment. He's used it since he was a teenager. You know, a healthy farmer can produce just as much at 65 and beyond as he did at 45. 65 may have been old age a few generations back, but today, it's nothing to make an issue over. And when he does decide to quit, he already has somebody in mind to take over, and I'll bet you that'll be when he's well past 70. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner, Southeast Agnet. Those reports and more can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.